Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. Hub and Spoke Audio Collective. Hey y'all, it's Shiko Thiuri, and I'm back for our last installment of our three-part series on Black American English, or African American English, whatever you'd like to call it. Two episodes ago, we explored where this vernacular came from. Last time, we examined how it evolved, especially through music. But where does it go from here? I'd like to kick off our final inquiry with a song, specifically Drake's song, Too Good, featuring Rihanna. I mean, I just love this song. Doesn't it make you want to dance? We gotta take time with this. Cock up your bomba, sit down, bonita. Let me see if this is something I can fix. Did you catch that? Drake switched up and went straight Jamaican patois. It's an English-based Creole, and here it almost sounds like he's trying to imitate a Jamaican dancehall song, right? And what's interesting about Drake singing in Patwa is he's not Jamaican. But in interviews, he says he's paying tribute, not appropriating. The definition of appropriating a culture is not supporting that culture, doing songs with people who are deeply rooted in that culture. That's not appropriating. Appropriating is taking it for your own personal gain and denying that it was ever inspired from this. That's the true disservice that somebody could do to dance hall, to Afro beats. Me, I ensure that I'm not only paying all due respects verbally, but like I make a point to give opportunity to people that I respect. That's Drake talking on the Rap Radar podcast back in 2019. Now, Drake is from Toronto, a very diverse place full of immigrants, where he most likely absorbed accents and lingo from around the world. As one linguistics professor told me, we are carrying around our personal experiences in the languages that we speak. And Drake seems to be bridging his experiences of growing up around Jamaicans to his songs. Does immersion in a culture give you license to participate in it on your own merits? Well, I don't have the answer to that. But one thing I can say is that the rate at which different cultures are fusing these days is happening at breakneck speed. It's hard to keep up. And I think there's a parallel that can be drawn here between Drake's use of patois and the way Black American English is changing today. From Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitle, stories about languages and the people who speak them. I'm Shiko Thiuri, and in this episode, to help explain how Black American English is transforming, I'd like you to meet Shondell Nero. I was born and raised in Guyana, which is on the northern coast of South America, Guyana, used to be a former British colony. It's the only officially English-speaking country in uh, mainland South America. Shondell is a professor of language education at New York University, where she studies the ebbs and flows of language. And she says migration has always been a central part of the story of Black American English. She knows this firsthand as someone who immigrated to the U.S., Because Guyana was a former colony and a former plantation colony, uh, we have a very diverse population of Blacks, Indians that were brought from India that were called East Indians. We have uh, local indigenous people, Chinese, small Portuguese population, white. And the English that developed there was uh, what we would call in the Caribbean region a Creolized English. In Guyana specifically, it's called Creolese. Creolese, which 
sounds a lot like Creole, doesn't it? In part one, we heard that a Creole is the result of two languages that mix. Various Creoles are spoken in the Caribbean. So what does Creole sound like? I'll give you an expression my mother would say, like, uh, who is she when you stew she down? <laughs> okay, who is she when you stew she down? So who is she when you stew her down? Who is she when you bring her down to low gravy, when you've moved away all of the facade? Who is this real personality below the appearance? That's essentially what it means. Chandel's father was the complete opposite. He didn't speak to her in Creolese, but in a very formal standard English. My father used words like adumbrate, and, <laughs> and um, my father was very formal. Adumbrate. Yeah, can't say that's a word I've heard before. Merriam-Webster defines it as to suggest or outline partially. Shondell says her father's vocabulary was filled with words like this. The type of words he would use that you would see in a dictionary now and it would say in parentheses, obsolete, you know. <laughs> words like, you know, 18th or 19th century British English that nobody in the UK would even use today. So when Shondell communicated with her mom, she spoke more Creolese. And with her father, more antiquated English. And then at school, she was taught to speak standard British English, Switching back and forth became so natural that she still does it. My husband now says that, man, my husband is American. He can tell who I'm talking to on the phone by how my English shifts, if I'm talking to my mother or if I'm talking to a Guyanese friend. So even among Guyanese, I sound different to different types of Guyanese. I can totally relate to this. Some of you might be familiar with my story, which I've shared in previous episodes. I'm a first-generation American who grew up speaking a mix of English and Kikuyu with my Kenyan parents. But I spoke formal English at school. And as I grew up, Black American English started to become part of my everyday speech, especially with my friends. As a kid, Shondell wasn't exposed to it the way that I was. So when I was growing up in Guyana, we had no television. When I say we, I don't mean my family. I mean, there was no television in the country. Television did not arrive in Guyana until 1980. And I grew up in the 70s. So Black American English exposure was in two ways. Um, music, because we were listening to Motown and all that stuff. Keep your freedom for as long as you can My mama told me you better shop around we did have the cinema, so we went to movies, and there was that, that whole age of all of the black exploitation movies and the black films of the 70s. Shaft's his name. Shaft's his game. Can't say he's gonna be here. And he ain't. Shondell started reading Ebony and Jet magazines. She also encountered black American English in novels, but not through school assignments. One day, she just happened to find the work of a particular author in her school library. I stumbled, literally, I remember, in my high school on James Baldwin. And I remember walking down the dark, tropical Brooklyn streets, with heat coming up from the pavements and banging from the walls of houses with enough force to kill a man. Literally, it was my first time exposed to, because all of our curriculum was British. And all the world's children on the sidewalks or in the gutters hanging from fire escapes with my arm around Joey's shoulder. In 1984, Shondell moved to the birthplace of James Baldwin, New York City. 
And naturally, she expected to hit the streets of the Big Apple and hear Black American English, the version of it that she knew from music and movies and literature. But what does she hear instead? More on that after the break. Hi, Patrick Cox here, rudely interrupting to tell you about another podcast I love, and I think you will too. It's called The Vocal Fries. And as part of recommending The Vocal Fries to you, I'm going to make an admission. I am guilty of judging other people's language. Misplaced apostrophes, use of the word irregardless, American use of the word entree to mean main course. I mean, come on. But as the wise people at The Vocal Fries point out, there's no point in me or you getting riled up. It's not going to make anything better. If anything, it'll make things worse. Here's an example. The thing the podcast is named after, Vocal Fry. Something, for the record, that I have no problem with. But a lot of people do. Some people even believe Vocal Fry harms the vocal cords. It doesn't. If you want to know more, much more than I can tell you, you must listen to The Vocal Fries. In each episode, hosts linguist Carrie Gillan and Megan Figueroa, they make you laugh. But they also take on some aspect of speech or language that some people are just repelled by. They find out why the repulsion came into being and, no spoilers, why it's misplaced. Listen to The Vocal Fries at Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. In New York, everybody picks up everybody's parts of their speech. When Chandel moved to New York, she expected to hear and speak Black American English. But what she heard instead surprised her. She heard a lot of Caribbean-influenced English, which made her feel at home. Well, sort of. It wasn't just spoken by Caribbean immigrants, but Chandel says other Black Americans were speaking it too. It's a good chance that if you run into a Black person living in New York, they probably have Caribbean roots, so they might be born here, and even their parents might be born here, but their grandparents might be. Um, And because people continue to migrate, you still have fresh groups of Caribbean people coming in, even as you have three or four generations already here. So you always get that influence. It's what Chandel and other linguists call transnationalism. Remember Drake singing in Patois? a Tarantonian whose language reflects his experiences, transnationalism is changing Black American speech. There's a kind of nice fluidity in which people are picking up each um, language so that you hear African-American phrases and Caribbean phrases very easily, even from people that are not even Caribbean, people from other immigrant groups, whites. In New York, language is very fluid. So there is a continuous stream of influence that naturally comes from migration and immigration, pouring into the larger pool of Black American English. And it's not just Caribbean influence. I think as people move to different states, that's going to be an influence as well. But then you have Blacks now from African countries. Countries like Nigeria, which has the largest African immigrant population in the U.S., But in addition to migration, Shondell says another big factor changing Black American speech is movement in another space, online. Social media and online chat services are making it easier than ever before for expressions to travel and language to transform. And that's like an unfiltered space. 
on something like WhatsApp because you you're texting anybody anywhere. So you might be physically in let's say Boston, but you know, you're texting your friend who's in the Caribbean or texting somebody who's in LA and in that response to that message might be some black American language from LA. One example of how speech is influenced by technology is with the growing popularity of the phrase push and pee. Are you pushing pee? Push and pee? Yeah, pee. The expression has long been native to people in Texas and the Bay Area. But this year, it exploded on social media all over the world. Back in January, Atlanta rapper Gunna released a song called Push and Pee, featuring Young Thug. And the phrase push and pee is mentioned in this song a lot. This term perplexed a lot of people. And there were a lot of discussions about what it meant. What does P actually stand for? Here's Gunna breaking it down on The Breakfast Club with radio host Charlemagne the God. If I wake up in, in my backyard at the beach, that's P. That's P. You okay. know what I'm saying? Okay. So you woke up early in the morning to a beach, that was P. Okay. It's simply player, but you also can just like use it in the other ways. Like, all right, man, I ain't, I ain't like how he did that. That wasn't, that wasn't P. Mm-hmm. Oh, so P you is know? just short for player. It could be. Playa, peace, positivity, productivity. I think the jury is still out on the exact meaning and appropriate use of the phrase. But the ambiguity of it didn't hinder it from becoming a viral international sensation on TikTok. You see your little sister struggling with her homework and you go help her? That's keeping it P. That's pushing P. Okay, but you still not explaining what that means. What's understood don't got to be explained. If you don't understand, you ain't P. Now, while this term is new to millions of social media users, it's long been a regional term. Its meteoric rise speaks to the point that Chandel is making about transnationalism and how language, especially Black American English, is moving and evolving today, both on big platforms like TikTok and even smaller WhatsApp groups between friends. Chandel has her own anecdote about teaching the Caribbean expression stoops to her American husband. It's a noise you make with your mouth. Supping your teeth, so it goes like, Um, it sounds like that. Yeah, I've heard that. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And it it signals a sort of mild dismissal of someone. It was funny because my husband's American and he he teaches in Brooklyn. He has a lot of Caribbean students. And one day his student did that and she, because he was American, she think he didn't understand. He goes, don't do that. I know exactly what you're doing. You know, he's like, like, don't stoops at me. You know, I know, I know what that means. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Okay, so Shondell's husband learned about the stoops sound because, well, that's what happens when you're married to someone. But even when you don't have a personal connection like that, there are plenty of pathways to pick up new expressions and phrases. Most of those pathways involve some combination of migration and social media. There's no question that this is helping set the future course for Black American English. It's hard to predict, it's very fluid, but I would say technology and just population movement is the ease at which this generation has just broken down physical boundaries in terms of borders. I mean, borders are just virtual, really. There's one common undercurrent throughout our series that has played a major role in the evolution of Black American English. And that is 
movement. African-American English has and always is in a state of flux. That's just the byproduct of the journey of those who speak it. From the perils of slavery to the earliest attempts to escape north, from the Great Migration to the current waves of immigration, Black American English has been a mirror of this movement. And today, the movement includes Shondell and others from the Caribbean, and also me, born to parents from Kenya. All of us are following a linguistic tradition that began when the first enslaved Africans arrived in North America 400 years ago. We are building on that tradition, and sometimes breaking with it, so that the thing we currently call African-American English, the way we speak, it's re-energized and reinvented with every generation. This episode is reported and produced by me, Shigo Theori. Special thanks to Oluwakemi Aladisuyi, Patrick Cox, and Nina Porzuki. Also thanks to everyone at the Linguistic Society of America. Tina Toby is our sound designer. Allison Shao manages our social media and newsletter. And if you haven't subscribed yet, go to subtitledpod.com slash newsletter. One more time, subtitledpod.com slash newsletter. Subtitle is a member of the Hub and Spoke Collective. We're a bunch of podcasters dedicated to telling stories about stuff that you're not going to come across anywhere else. Here's one of the other Hub and Spoke podcasts, Iconography. This is a podcast about icons, things with meaning in our lives, meanings that we don't fully understand. This fall, Iconography is returning with a new miniseries looking at the movie Jaws through the lens of its most iconic character, the saltine-chomping shark hunter, Quint. Check out Iconography and all of the other Hub and Spoke shows at hubspokeaudio.org. Thanks for listening. It's been a pleasure hosting these three past episodes, and thanks for joining me on this journey. I hope you learned as much as I did. We'll be back with a new episode in a couple of weeks. Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.